<laughs> so we're uh we're pretty good ways along in this this big book and uh i i realize in ezekiel it can seem a little duplicative at times but you put yourself in his shoes he's had a ministry through the first 11 chapters that um, was not very effective in the sense that uh, the people largely did not believe what he had to say. It was effective in the standpoint, and this is important for all of us, and when we think about uh, teaching and preaching in our own day, it was effective in that Ezekiel presented the message God had for him to present, and that is the first and foremost responsibility of, of people teaching in any context, even you know where you're doing children's ministry or prison ministry, we only have authority uh, from God to present what God actually says. And, and we'll see that as we get into chapter 13 today, he's going to deal with false prophets. And I want to talk a lot about what, what, what is a false prophet anyway, but um, because they largely did not believe him, he ramps up the messages beginning in, in chapter 12, and it, it, the disbelief was such that there was a proverb uh, going around, a thing people just said that pictures where their hearts are at. And they basically said all that stuff Ezekiel said just isn't going to come true. They denied it would come true, and it was so popular a belief that it became a, a proverb, and we've seen that in other places in Scripture I mentioned the one last week where uh, when David started to ascend to popularity and became in many ways more popular than the king at that time, Saul, people were saying that uh, Saul had slayed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Okay? It became a, a proverb. Uh, and so, so it had in Ezekiel's time, the response of the people in exile uh, to his message is... Uh, one of disbelief, and, and and if we if we fast forward even after chapter thirteen, we're going to find in chapter fourteen that some of the elders among the exiles, people who are the older, wiser guys who are listening to Ezekiel, recognize him as a prophet, and they come to see him, and God will call out them as idolaters that they themselves have engaged in this idolatry. It's it's simply uh, that pervasive. And, and really something we, 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 we all probably, I think, do struggle with, even if we don't realize it. It's kind of what we were talking about before we, we started the recording. Um, when you live in dark, difficult times, how do you live, you know, according to God's principles? How do you be godly in uh, a world that looks like the world of, of Ezekiel, where the hard attitudes of most of the people are what Ezekiel was facing. And it's, it's, it's a real challenge. However, uh, the scriptures affirm repeatedly that it can be done. And, and I cite especially uh, a passage like Hebrews 11 that gives you a bunch of examples of people who did exactly that. Um, God assures us he will pro provide provision um, to be in a transformation process toward uh, holiness, even if we're in a, a very dark uh, culture. So we should keep that in mind. But uh, this is what Ezekiel faces. So there's this by this um, this this uh, proverb, and, and we were near the end of chapter 12 last time, but I'll just pick it up in 21, 12, 21. Um, he says, son of man, what's, what is this proverb 
you people have about the land of Israel, which goes, and then and then God says, here's the proverb, the days keep passing by and every vision fails. There could be prophets other than Ezekiel as well that were not writing prophets, so we don't know their names. Ezekiel may not have been the only one, but certainly they would apply this uh, saying, this proverb to Ezekiel. That is, his visions fail to come true. Uh, what he's saying, they just deny it outright. Um, the modern analog to that today would be people, including people within the church, like we were having that that discussion before we we started the recording. Even people within the church who who you know we're not we're not calling into question whether they're truly Christians and getting into all of that, but they have such a distorted view of God that uh, they uh, will deny the truth, the truth of you know, the things that God says in Ezekiel, for example. So we we, we do see this, uh, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but uh, he's told to tell them uh, in verse uh, 23, I will put a stop to this proverb. What God is going to do is, is and it's, it's, you know, it may be that he's hastening what's going to happen in Jerusalem, but the fact is God has been slow to bring this about, as a matter of mercy, but that mercy is coming to a close. He's going to get rid of the proverb by destroying Jerusalem, and people are going to say, wait a second, Ezekiel was right. I mean, that's really what he's he's telling them is going to happen. So he, he tells Ezekiel to go and report back to the people. The days have arrived, as well as the fulfillment of every vision. And I think that's all the visions Ezekiel has seen up to this point in time. All of those warnings about what was going to happen in in Israel, he says the day has arrived. Like we're 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 just there. We're at the we're at the doorstep. It's not happening at the exact moment when Ezekiel uh, gets this message, but it's he's very close in time to these things happen. There will no longer, he says in verse uh, twenty four, be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. That's the subject of the next chapter. One of the things he's going to do, and it is is not only bring to pass what Ezekiel said would happen, but he's going to deal with the false prophets and the prophetesses. And that latter category, the ladies, they seem to be more like witches, more like uh, divination, uh, spiritualist type of folks. And that no doubt is part of the reason that so many people don't believe Ezekiel. He's not the only voice in the room, as is the case today. If you stand up and you say God says, and you truthfully present what God says, there are a number of people in our culture today who will stand up with a Bible in their hands and say God didn't say that. And, and so there were in, in his day. So he mentions that there will no longer be any false vision because he's going to remove the false prophets. I mean, that's that's what uh, what's coming. And it takes Nebuchadnezzar's army to move them. See, that's the the drastic uh, uh, steps he's got to take. But I, the Lord, will speak whatever message I will speak, as he did through Ezekiel, and it will be done. Uh, you know, we have a, a, you know, when theologians, we, we invent words that, that help us talk about things. They're not bad words. One of them is inerrancy. The scriptures attest to their own inerrancy over and over, and this is just one of the myriad times. God says, you know, whatever I speak, it's going to be done. It's going to happen. Uh, and that has been uh, the experience of people. 
uh, even even uh, Israel, as we, we saw a week ago, you know, you can fast forward to a period after all these terrible events happen. And those who have survived will acknowledge that what God said would happen, in fact, came to came to pass. So uh, he adds, it won't be delayed. For in your days, rebellious house, I will speak a message and bring it to pass. This is the declaration of the Lord God. And um, he, he says in verse 27, son of man, notice that the house of Israel is saying, uh, and this is a second kind of proverb. He doesn't call it a proverb, but this is the second proverb in a sense that the house of Israel is saying, right? The first was these visions just aren't going to happen. Ezekiel's just wrong. Uh, he's a false prophet. He's saying things that God never told him. The second proverb is everything Ezekiel says, you know, even even if it's going to come to pass, it's way out in the future. And so we don't have to worry about it. It's it's it's, you know, I, I've hear, heard astronomers and, and cosmologists say that the universe is expanding and in uh, several billion years, we're all going to be destroyed. And that just doesn't get people alarmed. Right. Because it's billions of years away, even if they're right. I mean, it has nothing to do with it. It's just it's billions of years away. We don't have to worry about Ezekiel. What he's talking about, that that's not even going to happen in our lifetimes. We're never going to see that. See, see verse 27, the, the vision that he sees concerns many years from now. He prophecies about distant times. We have nothing to worry about because none of this stuff's going to come to pass anytime soon. So you tell him, verse 28, this is what the Lord God says. None of my words will be delayed any longer. The message I speak will be fulfilled. Um, this is the declaration of the Lord. We would call this imminency. The uh, in in this in this context, that is, is that the judgment is is imminent. So, uh, a, a pretty strong um, message. And then in chapter thirteen, before I start that, I just want to see if there's some questions or comments. But chapter thirteen is going to hammer the false prophets because they have deceived the people. Uh, it doesn't absolve the people of their obligation to hear God's word. Uh, but it certainly hasn't helped the situation, so we'll, we'll get there. Any any thoughts or comments about uh, chapter twelve? Okay. Well, hearing yes, none, I'm let's. Oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was refilling my cup of coffee. Um, in reading twelve, the verses eighteen to twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I've started doing is looking at the the Ryrie Study Bible because it explains things a little bit. But anyway, it talks about um, uh, they will eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water with horror, horror mm-hmm. uh, because their land will be stripped of its fullness. Anyway, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, that's applicable to what we are living through right now. Look at all the processing plants, fertilizer plants that are on fire, the oil refineries that are on fire. It's like they're gradually depleting our food supply so that pretty soon we'll devolve into chaos. And and as Christians, you know, we're expected to reach out to help others. But how can we help others when our own food supply is diminishing? And it just it's. I, it just seems like we're reliving this from times past. It, I, I think I think in in a way, you know, we we could be that that is 
we, we have to whether whether God's doing something through those specific events is not not really the, the point of my comment, but it is this. We're very smug that something like this couldn't happen. We may not say it that way, but we just have a great confidence. I think most people in, in the United States, it, it, it's hard to even imagine um, the United States faltering as you know the government failing, for example. It's just and yet, just to read history is to see that every government, human government, has failed. And most of them in much less time than the United States has been around. And when they fail, it's usually bloody. And and uh, and and in in in, in con- consistent with that is times of, of famine and things like that. And when we read it in the you know, in the re- in the book of Revelation about the tribulation and about a famine and death and, and plagues and all that. And 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 often we'll hear people say, well, the United States isn't in prophecy. Well, no, we're not called out by name, but uh, these things can happen. And I, I would just say it's so hard to believe. And, and, and if it's hard for us to see that God could, could, if he wants, cripple our economy quickly, remove food supply or something, uh, he could do it. These people didn't believe it. They They didn't believe it. And you can go back and study other nations that fell uh, in in history. They didn't believe it, even as it would, uh, you know, in hindsight, almost appear obvious. They they didn't believe it. So uh, I see a hand raised. Yeah. Second Peter three, three and mm-hmm. four has a very similar um, tone to that. Uh, those last few verses in uh, Ezekiel 12. Know this, first of all, that in the last day, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a powerful passage, right? And there's always mockers and and, and they, they tend to be listened to and, and say things with great confidence. And yet, you know, Peter's point is, you know, if you study your history, you'll find that God has intervened in human history. And he he ends up, you know, referencing, you know, I think he has in mind the flood. There's just a pride element. And, and you see it throughout. I've, I've referenced the book of Obadiah before, where those people uh, of Edom did not think anything could bring them down. They very much had the attitude of much of the United States. Uh, you know, we're, we're just, we're not in danger and I'm not, I'm not prophesying anything. I'm just saying we're very smug and, and God has a history of breaking the pride of, of nations as he did here in, in Israel. And yet to, to what, like what Judd read effectively, it's mockers. That's, that's when, when, when the proverb goes around saying, no, nah, no, this stuff's going to happen. Or it's all just about distant times. You won't see it. It's it's mockers. They're they're scoffing the word of God. And once you get to that point, um, the big hand's usually on the eleven. Yeah, it, I mean that just seems to be historically what's what's happened. You go from from uh, I mean it's kind of almost like a cycle that eventually brings people to to the point of outright affirmatively mocking God's word, which we see a lot of today. And then the hammer falls. Um, this this chapter thirteen is fascinating to me because he's going to talk about false prophets and false prophetesses. Let's look at a little of that, but then I want to I want to 
we need to talk about what it, what we really mean by a false prophet because a lot of lingo gets gets thrown around among among Christians, um, labels, jargon, uh, things like that. Uh, so what is a false prophet anyway? Well, the, the word of the Lord came to me, so Ezekiel, son of man, prophecy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying. It's kind of a lot of words, um, but 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 they're false prophets, as he'll, he'll explain. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, this is the part of, you know, I've, I, I'm a strong advocate of, of uh, writing in your Bible, highlighting things. Say, what well, what is a false teacher if we can make application? Uh, they prophesy or they teach out of their own imagination. This becomes an important uh, principle. Let's read a little more, and I'll have a comment or two about that. Um, he says, say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Now, um, Judd had just referenced Second Peter. When you read Second Peter, he he says that the prophets of old. In fact, it's it's probably worth reading if I can find the verse. The prophets of old spoke as the Spirit moved them, um, and that's that's uh, that's important. Uh, they they spoke as as the spirits uh, moved them. They they weren't just um, you know, making things up as they as they as they went along, and uh, let me see if I can find the verse I want. Yeah, it's verse twenty in the in twenty one in the first chapter of Second Peter. You know, he says, above all, you know this: no prophecy of Scripture comes from a prophet's own interpretation. The King James says, from private interpretation. Uh, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along uh, by the Holy Spirit. Okay. And and you you what you're seeing here in chapter 13 of, of Ezekiel is that these people speak from their own imagination, and, and, and God says to him through Ezekiel, Woe to the foolish prophets. Woe is a a word that is um, it's associated with with funerals with with the, uh, the the pronouncement of the funeral the dirge at the funeral and it, it always is you don't want to ever be on the receiving end of woe uh, but woe to the foolish prophets because God's going to destroy them uh, who follow their own spirit see how that's different than Second Peter uh, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament moved in in, in Ezekiel and the other prophets but these people. They follow their own spirit, and they've actually seen nothing. Your prophets, Israel, are like uh, jackals. I think some translations will say foxes among ruins. I, I think the 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 he's he's getting uh, figurative here. But a prophet has a job, and, and so does uh, uh, anybody who teaches the word of God. Now we're we're not called to see the the future and, and that kind of thing, but we do have uh, a, a task to preach the whole counsel of God, to just teach God's word as faithfully as we know how to teach it. Um, that's our job. What we're not allowed to do is replace it with our imagination to see things uh, not from the spirit of God, but just what we we see and then, and then to present it. 
what happens when you have false teachers, the kind that God is denouncing in this chapter, is that they they steer people away from the holiness of God, and they tend to steer them to engage, uh, to, to live in the flesh, to engage in the flesh, to engage in all kinds of, of bad conduct. Uh, that tends to be what, what they do. And, and figuratively, think of it this way, when you think of just, just our nation and its current, uh, the, you know, the way it thinks and its own, uh, the, its morality, if you will, its sense of morality, such as it is, it's kind of a heap of rubble in, in a lot of ways. That we, we call what's right wrong and we call what's wrong right. We, we're just morally, ethically just messed up in a lot of ways. So a, a true preacher of God's word We'll call it out for what it is. There's things that our culture accepts that we call it politically correct. They champion it. They'll even try to get you boycotted uh, for for uh, uh, questioning the the uh, official narrative. But a true preacher of God's word calls out the lies and calls out the immorality for what it is. A false preacher, a false prophet, looks at the rubble, the the ruins where the jackals live. And he says there's nothing wrong. He makes no attempt to fix it. I hope that makes some sense that that he's he's talking here, I think, of a culture in spiritual decay. And and it's it's the equivalent of the ruins where the foxes or the jackals live and foxes and jackals never try to fix their homes. Right. But it's it's a picture of the cultural depravity. And and the false preachers are not going to try to fix that. But a true prophet of God like Ezekiel does. He calls out the idolatry. That's his point. It's, it's a really fascinating imagery, and he's going to add to this in a moment. But it's the imagery of a nation in ruins. And what's so so helpful about that is we we, we, we too often uh, is, is a country, and, and, and just, this is just human nature in general, want to equate financial prosperity with the blessing of God. And I suspect they did that in Ezekiel's day as well. And so you you look at the beautiful city of Jerusalem and you don't see it in ruins and God looks at it and sees it like the the ruins that a jackal the jackals live in from a moral perspective, a spiritual condition. And he says, these false prophets, all they did was fortify who you are. They didn't tell you the truth. They didn't try to fix that problem. Uh, that's why the prophets are like that. So we say, well, what do false teachers look like today? Make application. They taught from their own imagination instead of the word of God. Okay, And that can look in a couple of different ways. One is intentionally twisting the word of God. Another is outright ignoring the parts of the word of God they don't like. They take the moral depravity that they see around them in the culture. And instead of, instead of addressing it from the perspective of God's word, they confirm it. They confirm it and they say, it's, it's all good. And, and he says, uh, you did not go up to the gaps or restore the wall around the house of Israel so that it might stand in battle on the day of the Lord. Well, that, that's a mouthful. But, you know, the walls of people's homes, uh, the walls, uh, the wall itself around the city, but the walls of people's homes were made of rocks and some kind of mortar in there. 
but they, you know, they didn't have a kind of quarry like we could have now where we could, you know, use big power equipment and get perfectly uh, cut rocks. And so you would have a rough wall surface, surface and they would cover it with a white plaster that would give a smooth appearance to the outside of the home, but it would also fill the crevices. It would fill the cracks. It would, in a sense, you know, do that. Uh, it's just, it's plaster. It's just, just like when uh, you ever, you know, take down all the, the, uh, the things hanging on your wall and you've got all the little holes in the wall, you plaster it up and, and you fix it. He says, you didn't go to the gaps or restore the wall around the house of Israel uh, so that it might stand in the, in the, in the, in the battle on the day of the Lord. They, they saw visions, their divinations were a lie. They claimed this is the Lord's declaration when the Lord did not send them, yet they wait for fulfillment of their message. Uh, you had an opportunity to see that, in a sense, the city was in ruins from the perspective of morality and spirituality. You, you, you could see the walls were full of cracks, but you made no effort to fill in the cracks, no effort to fix it. Which, which, which he's dealing with is you didn't preach against the sin. I mean, it's really that simple. And and when you uh, think about false teachers today, we have to make some application. Um, Echo, see your hand raised. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, that whitewash, doesn't it make you think about when he talks about, is it against the Pharisees? And they mm -hmm. whitewash the tomb. They're like whitewashed tombs. Mm -hmm. They're all religious and pious on the outside and they appear right they service him they honor him with his their lips but inside they're dead men's bones like they're so that just made me think about like the like you were saying the fence they build the fence but they don't you know the foxes can still get in you know what i mean like they don't build the foundation like they should and so they just make yeah. it appear to be it's it's yeah it's a similar metaphor right the the city actually before the destruction is a beautiful city, but through God's eyes, it's in ruins. Just like, you know, he Jesus likened them to the whitewashed tombs. It's such as tombs could be pretty. There was a certain beauty. As you look down from the Garden of Gethsemane, you could see those tombs sticking up above the surface and they're kept as clean white. There's a certain beauty to them, but inside is just death. The beauty of Israel and of Jerusalem um, is inconsistent with the ugliness of their actual spiritual condition. We could do this, the same here. We have, as, as a nation, we have all kinds of, of uh, infrastructure and buildings and monuments and all these things. And, and we can, we can kind of say, wow, that's, that's so awesome. But does God see it as beautiful? Or does he look at the country and say, I see a bunch of ruins that the um, people who hold out themselves as teachers of the word of God won't address. Pretty scary stuff. The other thing, too, that your example about the whitewashed tombs, Ezekiel is actually going to use an example in a bit of of taking a, uh, a dilapidated fence that's falling apart and painting and whitewashing it, painting it white to give it a, a sense of newness, if, if you will. And it's it's a uh, it, it's a, just a very close illustration, painting over the rotten wood, basically. So, so when we think about false prophets, uh, 
we, we have some things to go by here. Here's, here's the point I want to make and, and take it for what it is. I, I have found a lot of um, folks disagree with me about this, but I, I'll, I'll say it anyway. Uh, I think we need to be very careful about who we call a false teacher and who we call a heretic, especially. Heretic's a very strong word, gets used in the New Testament. Uh, the Greek word is is just almost transliterated as a heretic. It's, uh, but it's 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 not used frequently, but it is used. Um, and 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 they're clearly in the in the New Testament. There's a calling out of uh, false teachers. Let's see here. Um, there's clearly a, a calling out of, of false teachers and is an example, of course, um, the little book of Jude, for example. Um, Jude is is harsh on um, the, the false teachers he has in mind there. Uh, we don't get a lot of what their doctrine is in the little book of Jude. But, but the one thing you can say about the book of Jude, if you read it, it's just a chapter. Those false teachers are inspiring people to sin, not toward holiness. And uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 parallels Jude, if you've not observed that before. They're very, very close. There's debate who wrote first, but one or the other clearly, you know, one of them had clearly had the other in mind. Um, the book of Revelation calls out false teachers. The whole book of Galatians deals with false teachers who were teaching uh, law-keeping as a means of salvation and sanctification. Uh, Jesus called out false teachers. The Sermon on the Mount is... Uh, multifaceted in its purpose, but a, a central purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is a polemic against the doctrine of the Pharisees, and in, in particular, what they taught one had to do to be in the kingdom. Uh, so it is not the case that we're to not call out um, uh, false teachers, and particularly you know, false doctrine. But there is a difference, I would suggest, between um, a false teacher, maybe, and someone who has something they teach that that I think maybe isn't true, uh, and and we we tend to want to use a label. If I hear false teacher, what's conveyed by that is this person has nothing to offer, and I shouldn't listen to them about anything. But uh, think about how that gets used. Um, I believe in in what's called dispensationalism. There are a number of Christians who are very um, uh, sincere Christians. They are, are, are they're not idolaters. They're not, you know, promoting sin. Um, they're not dispensationalists. Uh, they would call me, They some of them might call me a false teacher. Uh, because they're not dispensationalists, I suppose I could call them a false teacher. I don't know that that's a helpful label. I don't even know that it's an accurate label. We We have a doctrinal disagreement. But one thing we have in common, I hope, is that we're both trying to look at the Word of God and teach what we believe the Word of God says. These people that, G, that, that, that Ezekiel calls out as false prophets are looking at, um, they're not looking at the Word of God as the point, right? They're looking at just into their own imaginations and making stuff up. That's the big difference. And, and I hope that's making some sense. I think we just, we need to be careful. Um, I also think there's something to be said for, um, you know, how, dan how dangerous is the doctrine people are teaching. There are some doctrines that I think are very dangerous. 
Um, and one we've we've talked about is is you know at least on occasion is like some of the stuff taught within the Hebrew roots movement. Um, but there's a number of others. I mean, that's just uh, one that 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 I hear a lot about right now. But there's others, and, and some of those doctrines are quite quite dangerous. But one thing you'll know by by a lot of the teachers there, many of them get to a point where they no longer um, uh, teach that Paul's writings are uh, scripture. Uh, they they realize the they struggle with getting their teachings by uh, things Paul said, and so. What are they doing when they remove Paul from the scripture? Well, they're teaching stuff from their own imagination. So now they're kind of fitting the label of, of, uh, of, of Ezekiel 13. But what about um, there are people within free grace who teach from some passages in, in, in Matthew that we sometimes call the outer darkness passages and, and one in Luke. They would say that, that to be thrown in the outer darkness is to be... Uh, essentially you're you're outside the kingdom forever which means you'll ultimately be in the in the lake of fire you'll be in hell and there are others who would say no 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 the the outer darkness is just that you're excluded from the kingdom for the first thousand years as a christian but then after that uh you'll spend eternity with god okay um those two views can't both be right are either of those groups of people those who believe outer darkness essentially means you're going to go to hell. Those who think outer darkness means you're out of the the, the uh, you're not in the millennial kingdom, but you're in the kingdom after that. Or does that make them false teachers? I mean, one or both of those groups have to be wrong, but does it make them false teachers? And what I would say is no, because both of them are are not pulling things out of their imagination. They're trying to look at the text. They're trying to teach what they believe the, the text says, and neither one of them is trying to use um, this this doctrine to 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 point people to sin, to try to get people to sin. And am I, I hope I'm making any sense. I, I see a hand raised. Um, uh, yeah, just to support your point, like the Hebrew roots movement would say that you know Paul's writings are not scripture. Hyper dispensationalists would say that only Paul's writings are for yeah. the church today. So obviously both of those can't be true. One has to be false, te- one or both. And I think both are false teaching. Um, and then, um, yeah, I think if if you're sincerely trying to start from the word of God and to rightly divide it, and you're making mistakes just because you don't have the proper light. I don't think you're a false teacher. You've just got some things wrong. Um, and, if, and if you pray, I think part of your prayer as a teacher should be, you know, Lord, if I'm teaching something incorrectly, please show it to me. And he will. He definitely will. Um, but I think, you know, for example, to me, what I would call a false teacher would be uh, like in some of these really liberal churches where they're telling you that uh, homosexuality there's nothing wrong with it. It was a cultural issue, but the Bible does not say that homosexuality is wrong because the Bible very clearly says that it is. And they're not starting with the word of God and then teaching it. They're starting with what they want to do and then force fitting the word of God and doing damage to the word of God to make it agree with what they want to do. Well, and, and and that's the key, and that's exactly the point I'm I'm trying to bring out is 
if you if you use Ezekiel 13 as a bit of a guide as to what really makes one a false teacher, false prophet versus not, it seems to have to do with with motives and the source of the information you're teaching. And as soon as someone, and this includes, in, in, in my opinion, the hyper dispensationalist, they more or less write off most of the Bible. That's a problem because then now you're you're um, you're pulling stuff from your imagination. Uh, and then there's motives, which the book of Jude hits motives heavy. Jesus in Matthew 7 says to beware the false prophets, and he's pointing his finger at the Pharisees. But he says, you know, they have sheep's clothing, but inward they're, they're ravening wolves. There's a motive problem, and we can't always see motives, right? It's hard for us to do that. But, um, yeah, so so this, this label sometimes fits. But I, I would just caution you against labeling someone a false teacher just because you disagree with them. If you don't have an understanding that they are either one, uh, you know, teaching from a false motive, as as uh, you know some uh, teachers uh, do, just to make money, for example, especially within the kind of name it and claim it business, or that they're not even trying to pull from scripture. They're not, they're not, it's, this isn't honestly misunderstanding scripture. They are just pulling things from their own imagination. Those people should be called false teachers. Jesus would have called them false prophets. Uh, and it's appropriately done. But just because someone has a little different eschatological view than me, but they're, they're trying to teach the word of God as they understand it. They're not promoting sin. Um, I will disagree with their, um, their their uh, view on on maybe that eschatological point, but I don't need to label them false teachers. And when we engage in just jargon and labels, do we not act like the current culture in the United States? Do we not act like the cancel culture who would rather uh, apply a label to someone? Someone presents a conservative view, they're automatically the far right. You, you do that because you have no intellectual answer to what these people have to say. Uh, far, far better for us as, as Christians to be able to sit down and, and, and reason from Scripture and, and, and do it that way rather than the labels. But let me read a little more of this. You get the flavor for it. Verse 8 says, uh, you see the way verse 7 ends, didn't you see a false vision and speak a lying divination? Like, these people know what they're doing is wrong. That, and that's the heart of being a true false teacher. You are knowingly manipulating God's word. You're saying things he didn't say. And yet they would say, this is the Lord's declaration. People who know that what they're saying is nowhere in the scripture, and yet they say it is, uh, they're false teachers, they're false prophets. And, and, and there's a lot of those in, in what, like we've referred to earlier, and I think maybe Judd did too, kind of what uh, we would call a liberal Christianity, where any parts of the word of God that we don't like, which is almost all the Old Testament, um, is excluded. Uh, that is that is false false teachers. So therefore, this is what the Lord God says. You've spoken falsely. You've had your lying visions. This is why, um, that's why you discover that I'm against you. This is the declaration of the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and speak lying divinations. Uh, they will not be present in the council of my people. They probably had a, a, a position of a prestige among the people. They were, after all, prophets. And, and um, 
un unfortunately, that's often been the case. And even within cer certain Christian circles that um, uh, preachers and, and priests, um, they, they can get a, a position of great influence, power, and even money. And, and uh, God says, you're not going to have that position. In fact, you won't even be recorded in the register of the House of Israel. You're not even going to be a citizen anymore. You're going to be uh, excommunicated from the, from the country. And you won't enter the land of Israel anymore. He's going to take them out. They're going to die or get removed in this uh, coming uh, battle with, with Nebuchadnezzar. And they will never come back. He will not have them. When you get to Zechariah and, and he sees visions in chapter, I think it's chapter 4. Four, five, five. He sees visions looking forward, but I think it's four and five. Um, one of the things Zechariah will end up saying is that in this future day, uh, and he's talking about as the tribulation comes and Lord returns, um, there will be no false prophet in the land at all. He's gonna he's gonna eradicate them. So you can understand this. This does seem that it's a problem that will continue uh, in in the future. But in the immediate term, he's going to remove move, remove these folks uh, because they led the people astray. Verse ten, they said peace when there's no peace, uh, and since when they went and listen to this, and since when a flimsy wall is being built, they plaster it with whitewash. And that was I wasn't remembering exactly where it was, but that was what I had mentioned um, echo earlier that he has almost the identical sort of metaphor. Is is what Jesus uses. You know, it's 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 a rotted fence. It's kind of the implication, and so you paint it over. Years ago, I had a a, a lawsuit that involved a house this young couple bought, and 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 they quickly discovered it was full of termites, but the house had all new siding. And when they pulled uh, some of the siding off, someone went and had put brand new two by fours right next to the rotted wood, so they would have something to attach the siding to. So you had this beautiful home on the outside. But there was no supporting structure like they were actually told it's not even safe to be in the house. Um, and, and that's kind of the the imagery here. Um, you've tried to make it look pretty on the outside. That's what false teachers do. They give a false sense of righteousness or purity and what's inside uh, remains corrupt. So um, they they have seen visions when God didn't give it to them. They've led the people astray is a serious crime to lead God's people astray, and he'll deal with it. When the wall is fallen, verse 12, will you not be asked, where's the whitewash you plastered on it? Remember, he's talking metaphorically about a, a, a civilization that has become so far from God, so idolatrous, so much like the United States, but so far, and and these these preachers of the day Instead of calling out the idolatry for what it is, they whitewashed it. They didn't call it out as sin at all. And in the wall falling, you know, this is a metaphorical wall, and it speaks of, of the instability of the, of the nation under the weight of its sin. They whitewashed it. And when Nebuchadnezzar comes and he destroys everything, the people that survive will realize that uh, these people were false prophets, and and they're going to stick it to them. They're going to say, why, you know, why didn't you tell us the truth? Which is, you know, you know, they they should have known the truth for themselves, perhaps. But that is the question: Where's the whitewash you plastered on it? The whitewash is their false doctrine, uh, and it's it's just like Judd's example earlier. You take something the Bible clearly calls it what it is, and and you say it ain't so. 
You just deny it. You say, no, no, no. And you, you, you know, make all kinds of crazy ideas why that's not so. He deals next with, um, and just briefly mentioned it with uh, the um, so some more prophets. So um, he, in verse 13, he says he's going to bring a, a whirlwind of wrath, a torrential rain in my anger. These are all metaphors. And this is where we, it's a good lesson about being a little careful. Yes, we take things, uh, we have a, a literal interpretation, a plain sense interpretation, but but that doesn't mean we ignore metaphors. God did not destroy uh, the, the Jerusalem at this time um, with a flood, for example. This is a flood of judgment. Uh, he uses the army of Nebuchadnezzar. He'll demolish the wall you plastered with the whitewash and knock it to the ground so its foundations exposed. People are going to see uh, the reality. And in verse uh, 16, those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw a vision of peace for her when there was no peace, uh, you know, they're going to be seen for what they were. But there's also these women, and this is just a fascinating thing to me. Uh, they're, they're called prophetesses. But they seem to be more like pagan um, uh, priestesses, that kind of thing. Uh, he says, son of man, face the women among your people who prophesy out of their own imagination and prophesy against them. This is what the Lord God says. Now it's woe to the women. Just like earlier, remember, he said back in verse three, woe to the foolish prophets. Now it's woe to these women. What do they do? They sew magic bands on the wrist of every hand. And they make veils for the heads of the people out of every size in order to ensnare lives. Uh, they dress up in a peculiar way that holds themselves out as uh, magicians, as witches. And and the, the magic bands were believed to ward off spirits or something like that. You know, but they ensnare the lives of people and they preserve their own. You profane me, he says, among the people uh, for handfuls of barley and scraps of bread you go to them and, and pay money, which in their culture would often just be the some food, and they'll read your palm. Or I'm just using that, you know, figuratively, but you know, they'll they'll give you a message from God. But it profanes God, of course, because it's not really from him and it's it's really against what God would, would have them say. They're selling what they call the truth for money. It's it's not it's not a it's not a new thing and and that's why it's always you know what's what's bothered me so much about the the true false teachers the kind you could often and, and I'm sure still now uh, turn on a TV and and see a, a you know a, I guess he's still on I know he was not too long ago a, a Kenneth Copeland or a Creflo Dollar or Jesse Duplantis and Joel Osteen and I know I'm throwing out names I don't usually do that but they are they are false teachers. They do what they do for money, and what they speak doesn't come from God. It is a lie, and it is designed for the motive of making money, just like these women here. And if you want to know what God thinks about them, don't say, and I've had people, when I say these people, you know, they're they're they're, they're so far out there, and I, I think they're false teachers. I'll say, well, but they do a lot of good. That's not the question. The question, because I, I would dispute that, the question is, what does God say about them? And once you get on, uh, when you become the false teacher, like he's describing in, in chapter in Ezekiel 13, don't don't stay with that person or buy their books and listen to their stuff because there's some scrap of truth hidden in a corner somewhere. When when their motive is to fleece people and make money, 
They're not even trying to speak God's word. In fact, they're intentionally saying the opposite of what God teaches. Uh, at that point, yes, the, the label is proper. They, they, they're false teachers and shouldn't have anything to do with them. Uh, they ensnare the lives of people. People that corrupt the word of God uh, to make money cause grave destruction in the lives of other people. They do it for money or in the case of a lot of, of movements, and we like to mention the HRM, they do it for power because you can manipulate other people with, with sometimes with, with certain kinds of doctrines. Um, therefore, in verse 20, this is what the Lord God says, I'm against your magic bands with which you ensnare people like birds, and I'm going to tear them from your arms. There's going to be some bad people come and deal with you. I mean, they're going to have a bad destruction. I will free the people you ensnared like birds. He is going to use this army of Nebuchadnezzar to remove these women uh, and free them from his people so they can no longer have an influence on the, on the people that survive. Um, this is how God uh, thinks about it. Then, and I've, I've mentioned this repeatedly in verse 21 to highlight it, then you will know that I'm the Lord. You don't want to be on the knowing end of that if you're these false teachers. And the false teachers today aren't getting away with, with anything either. They're, they're, uh, they're going to get, uh, they're going to reap what they've sown. Uh, you've disheartened the righteous person with lies, and you've supported the wicked person that he does not turn from his evil way to save his life. They do the opposite of what God's word is. And that leaves you thinking, well, I mean, that's more or less what Satan does. Yeah, that's what he does. Therefore, you will no longer see visions or practice divination. I will rescue my people from your hands and you'll know that I'm the Lord. Well, we'll, we'll stop there, but I, I do welcome any, uh, any uh, comments or, or just thoughts as we bring it to a close.